welcome back to yet another episode of the Snug Dan Nerdcast. I'm Kevin, and sitting across the table to talk with me is absolutely Jeff Bezos. No, I'm kidding. It's Danny. <laughs> Born in 1964. <laughs> um, yeah, hello. <laughs> Sorry, I can't Bezos do the same thing. the man himself. I can't do the same thing every single time, right? <laughs> Amazon, if you do listen on into everything, uh, I'll, I, mean, I would I definitely do, have Jeffrey yeah, Bezos on. I've got a dot literally right there. Like, I yeah. know... I know some alphabet agency or Bezos or somebody can hear me because literally it'll just start doing things on its own, <laughs> which means either somebody who's listening in is accidentally hitting things they're not supposed to. Somebody get this man or this house is haunted, but I'm pretty sure it's not haunted. Jeff, so. <laughs> Jeff we'd love to have you on. <laughs> I would love to have Jeffrey Bezos in this house. That honestly, that would be insane. <laughs> like, I'm I'm not even. Of, I don't even like Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> I don't even like Amazon, and that would be insane to have Jeff Bezos on here. No, he's in this. <laughs> like, he's in this penis-shaped rocket right now. He can't hang out with us. <laughs> he's in his dick rocket. Yeah. <laughs> so. Welcome back, everybody. We're back. Me and Kevin are recording this right after the first one because we are kind of making up for uh, next week. We will not be able to record. Um, so we're just kind of getting ahead of it. And I don't mind this too much, actually. Honestly, like the biggest thing for me was like I didn't want to keep doing like episode on, episode off, episode yeah. on, episode off. Like it's been a really busy It'll get summer too for us. If we let that happen. And so, yeah, we're we're kind of trying. It's one of those like we're trying to kind of bridge that gap, like when we can try to have an extra episode archived up. So that way, if there is a week where we're going to miss and then on and then another week where we're going to miss, then we have the ability to just kind of like oh, funnel yeah. an episode. So honestly, I if we can do episodes like this where it's not necessarily a time sensitive thing, because huh, we're doing another D&D School of Thought hey. episode. But if we can queue up an extra episode like this and kind of let it stack every now and again, we I honestly like wouldn't be against trying to do this every now and again just to have it as extra to shove in there whenever we do need to take a break. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't mind that either. Um, so without, well, I guess, um, yeah, me and Kevin kind of got our prerequisite stuff out last last cast. So yeah. I guess without say, further we ado, right we'll just it. jump straight um, into School of Thought. I hope you guys um, are wanting another one. I hope that the last one was at least yeah. a little bit helpful. We were kind of jumbled. We might be jumbled in this one a little bit. We'll find out. This one, we did take some time to try to template out what we wanted to talk about. A little bit. Um, so this one should be more organized. Uh, we also, we did get some positive feedback on the first D&D School we of did, Thought. We did, yeah, we did. I do um, remember that. So there were at least a couple of people that liked it. We did get any hate mail the only the only hate mail that we have ever gotten was um danny being told that his opinion on batman was wrong that's true yeah hate mail. um that's that, that's it <laughs> best hate mail i've ever gotten like nobody nobody has been hating on us at all which you know just makes me love our community so much more i love you guys you guys are amazing so kevin um, what um what are we talking about with so D, D today what can a new player expect to hear in this today one today for our D, D school of thought we were going to go over combat spell casting and if we've got time touch a little bit into the um kind of understanding what is meant and what is um, being used when people say uh, we're playing using theater of the mind. 
Um, cause I know that's a, that's a term that gets used pretty regularly in several podcasts and like other instances of D and D that newer players are not necessarily going to understand. So I wanted to make sure that we got that in there somewhere. Yeah. So we're going to approach this from the perspective of you've never touched D and D before. You've only ever heard of it. You don't really yes. know a lot about it. Um, Which is why I have the player handbook up on my phone. You have made your character. You have rolled for your stats. You have talked to your DM about the campaign. You are ready to rock and roll. This episode should help you get along a little bit in terms of combat. And hopefully at the end of it, you'll be able to take your turns a little bit quicker and know kind of a little bit about what to do um, when combat starts and what you should be doing and sort of how combat is structured. Yeah. So, going into it, um, as we, we kind of started uh, explaining in the first D&D School of Thought, um, but just to fully nail everything down, uh, as far as dice go, this is where you're actually going to end up utilizing probably Most all of, of your dice. Yeah. Um, so you're going to use your D4 depending on what you're using to attack with, depending on your weapon, depending on what spell you're using. If you're using a spell, Heal. um, yep. Healing's a possibility. You'll have your D6. So D4, that's a four sided die numbered one through four. It's a little like uh, triangle. It's a triangle. Yeah, it's pyramid. a pyramid. pyramid. <laughs> uh, triangular pyramid. Um, but yeah, so that's. That's that one. Uh, the D6 is your standard six-sided die. Um, everybody knows what this That's is, <laughs> but not many people, you know, not many people are actually, you know, yeah, they don't yeah. hear I mean, it as a shit. D6. If you don't know, just, then whatever. That's what yeah. you hear for. You You're know? like, you hear dice. And most people, if they haven't played a D&D, that's die. what they see is the yeah. six-sided die because that's what's mostly used. Yep. Um, so this one's the one that even if you don't play D&D, you're probably going to know what it is. You just probably haven't heard it called a D6. Yeah, yeah, um, D just stands for die. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then next up is your D8. Uh, this one's like a little diamond. Uh, it's got eight sides, obviously. Um, that one is actually a very common, uh, damage die. So that one will probably get used yeah, a lot. That one I'd say for, I'd say most mo spells, mo more like than, a lot of spells than any of them. I think, um, I know most, most like weapons are going to utilize the D six and then a D eight with both hands. Um, at least in the simple weapons category. Yeah. Uh, and then. Yeah, your D8 is going to be like a lot of your spell damages and like your lower tier martial weapons. Um, and then you've got a D10. That one's going to be like your other half of damage spells. <laughs> it's a 10-sided die. It looks like a little top. looks like, yeah, like, like a, a top or a wheel kind yeah. of. Um, and then you've got your D12, little 12-sided die. Looks kind of uh, hexagonal in shape looks, almost. Yeah, it's like a, almost like a, a quaffle from Harry Potter. I... Don't know what that is. It, from Quidditch? The, the, the ball that they pass around? Oh, the big one. Yeah. The big ball. The one that yeah. scores one. The one that they yeah. never go for because the golden snitch is the best. <laughs> I mean, they go for it. Like, it's, everyone's kind of doing their own thing in that. they always but, win by getting the snitch, though? That is how you end the game. Technically, oh. so they explain in the first one as you win if you catch it, but technically, technically, you get 150 points and the game's over when you catch the snitch. Oh. But you can actually lose and catch the snitch, but this is not D&D. &D. Okay, anyway. We'll come back to that some other time. Anyway. <laughs> we can talk Quidditch <laughs> rules later. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> rabbit holes. Um, 
So yeah, your D12, 12-sided die, this is going to be like for big damage. Like there's not a lot of things You're that use D12s, but if it uses D12s, it's probably a beefy spell or a badass weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, it also likely uses two hands if it's a weapon. Um, and then your D20, which is going to be, what, which we, we did mention for sure, the D20 in the previous ones. You'll use um, that one the most in general. Yep, that one's going to be pretty much everything. Um, so you're going to start off when you oh, enter a, combat. And oh, a D100. Yeah, the D100 usually doesn't come into play in combat. Yeah. Um, it can from time to time, like especially if you're a wild magic sorcerer. But, but that's, that's the a, diamond-shaped dice that yeah. goes up to 90. So that one's, yeah, so it's, uh, that one's like, it's another 90, D10, 90. but it's got double digits on it and you roll both D10s together yeah. to do it. And yeah. then they do, they do actually have uh D100s that are a single die and it's oh, got it's, number it's a one ball. to a hundred. Yeah. It a ball? It's yeah. like a ball That's, with like a bunch weird. of flat sides. It looks like a golf ball. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like rolling numbered. those. Yeah. <laughs> So I honestly almost wanted to get one just to just to fuck with Mav in one of the campaigns that we were playing. He's like, "Roll a D one hundred." I'm like, pulls out golf ball. <laughs> anyway, I interrupted but, you. What were you on? No, you're good. Um, um, I was about to start into uh, initiative. Uh, yes. Yep. So first part of combat, which is usually going to be told by your DM right off the bat, is roll initiative. This is generally how you know you have entered combat. Um. Whether that is because you guys decided you were going to attack an entity or an entity was um, specifically hostile towards you, you name it, different reasons to enter combat. This means that you are no longer using dialogue. You are no longer just doing the role play. It is now time to fight. Time to pick up them bootstraps. Yeah. So your initiative is uh, you'll you'll roll the the 20-sided die. You'll add your... Uh, initiative modifier uh, usually on your character sheet this is uh, near your armor class um, that's going to be it's generally de- it's determined by your dex modifier your dexterity modifier usually it's just your dexterity modifier some there are other ways that you could do it or there are other ways that it can be affected uh, like there's at least one feat that increases your initiative by uh, I believe five. I believe it's alert. Is yeah, the, the I think one. alert. Um, and then uh, there are a couple other ways. I think there's like a couple of racial um, abilities that uh, will increase it. Or like some some classes will give you advantage on it. But at the base, initiative is dictated by your dexterity. Yes. Right? Yeah. So. Um, uh, and that will determine your turn order. The higher it is, the earlier in the turn or uh, in the round that you go. Mm-hmm. So combat is also important when you make your character as well. So if you want a character that goes first most of the time, you're probably going to want to pour some at least a little bit into dexterity. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and uh, that'll that'll kick off your combat. Um, <laughs> go through the there, phases of combat, yeah. I guess. There's different so, actions that you can perform. Kevin will go through them because he's such a <laughs> memorizing sponge. I am, yeah. I have, I have like sucked all of it in. This is like it'll be, it'll be like the Kevin show with commentary from Danny. Yeah, I will be one. support because I, yeah, I have a lot of this locked and loaded in my head. Yes. Um, and then I also have the player handbook like right here by my side, so I can also whenever I'm not sure I can refer to that real quick uh but so what will happen is is once all initiatives have been determined uh the top of the order will you know take their turn first each turn 
at its base before any additives from class, race, etc. Um, unless it's been homebrewed otherwise by your DM. We're talking. This is we're just talking standard though. So if it's if it's homebrewed differently, that's something with your DM. They'll explain it to you, hopefully. Um, homebrew. Also, I don't know if we ever went over it. Homebrew just oh, means yeah. that it's a custom thing. Somebody made it up. They thought it. It's not in the D and D handbook. Like mm-hmm. they they decided to make it because they wanted it this way. So um, like a homebrew class. Um, Homebrewing is uh, simply just when somebody creates something custom that is not in the D&D handbook, um, or if a DM wants a certain thing to go a certain way or an item, um, that's basically just not in the official D&D lore. That's all that is. So if anyone has a homebrew class, it's a class generally they found online or something like that. So when Kevin says if something's a homebrew in combat, then generally it's like a combat mechanic that the DM decided to change or implement yes um like i played i played in a couple of games where they used uh what they called a six action system um which was a a homemade variant of the combat system and it's uh, significantly more complex so i'm not really going to get into it because this is for beginners but (laughs) another time for sure um so standard turn as per DD rules we're following the book right here you're looking at one uh, action, one bonus action, and movement dictated by your uh, character's race, generally, and then adjusted by feats and other things, etc. Mm-hmm. So the average character is going to have 30 feet of movement. Most characters have 30 feet of movement. Which is um, dictated by your speed block. Yeah. It'll be listed. Sheet. Yeah. It'll be listed on your... It should be listed on your character sheet. Hopefully, you filled that out. Or if you use a digital one, hopefully, it auto-filled it for you when you chose your race. If not, you can always refer back to the player handbook or whatever book your race is from if you didn't choose a race from the original player handbook. And it will state in the information what the speed for your character is. Um, what this is, is how far you can move in one turn of combat. Uh, one turn of combat is, or one round of combat. So each player taking one turn is technically time wise, six seconds. So you'll have 10 rounds of combat for every one minute. As far as like official D and D play goes. Obviously, some people like some DMs will rule differently or and a round you know, so is when it goes from one player all the way to all the others and back to that same player. Yeah. So as soon as it hits top of the order on the initiative, that is the next round. Yep. <clears throat> so and then you also you do also have a reaction once per round. Right. Not everyone um, can will use a reaction. because yes. Not everyone will have them, but you do yes. have it. Yeah. And that's that's standard amount. There are ways to increase the number of reactions that you can utilize. But for standard, without any bonuses, you got one reaction, one action, one bonus action and movement. Um, Also, D&D rules dictate that you can utilize a second bonus action if you do not move. I'm not going to get too far into that because that's where we start getting a little more complicated and not all DMs utilize that. A lot of DMs totally skip over that one. Um, 
So a bonus action is usually going to be something small. It's going to be switching a weapon. It's going to be, you know, something that only requires like a quick wave of the hand, you know, something small to that something matter. Something you would think that somebody could do quickly in a matter of a fraction of a second. Yes. Um, not like a full swing, not like a jump or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, not like a jump. Yeah, not really a jump. Not unless you have like not unless you're doing it magically. Yeah. Um, so like things that are usually a bonus action, um, there are some forms of healing that are they're kind of small. They're gonna be a bonus action. There's gonna be certain things that you can do, like uh specifically with rogues. Rogues are very heavy on bonus actions. They've got things like uh cunning action, which allows you to either dash, hide, or um Oh, it's dash hide or something else. Disengage. Um, yes, disengage. As a bonus action instead of an action. These are usually full actions. They do, um, but they're cunning, so they can just... Yes, so they've learned how to actions. do this. Uh, another thing is um, mastermind rogues have the ability to uh, perform the help action as a bonus action instead of a full action. Um, so this would be essentially just like, hey... Uh, you get to, you know, do try attacking them this way kind of thing. Like, you know, shout to them. Hey, attack them this way. And then that's like providing the help kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so when combat starts, you as a player need to think in your head, okay, here's what I'm doing as my main action. Here's what I'm going to do as a bonus. And do I need to move? Yep. And definitely, definitely, definitely pay attention to the players ahead of you and what they're doing sometimes what they do is going to change what you're going to want to do so you want to think quick on your feet what especially if you're know. support class yes and pay attention to where the enemies are um a lot of people when they're first starting out it's going to be totally normal for you to on your turn when it comes around for the dm to be like all right it's your turn what are you doing you go um i'm gonna um because you just don't know like it, it takes yeah. a minute before you learn how to of like course, plan yeah. your your uh, attacks ahead mm -hmm. that's why the apps and such are so useful because yes. just having the organization is really important yes and so it's honestly like the more organized you are with what attacks you can and can't do what you usually would do what kind of things you're going to do in combat the more you're going to impress your dm and the more smoothly <laughs> the your more combat is going be. to go because i will tell you with a bunch of new players going through combat it may be six seconds in game time it's going to be hours <laughs> yeah it's going to be at least five minutes per person like, yeah. or something like that it's something crazy like um, it's yeah it's even it's two minutes expanded. per person is a long time kind of it yeah. can be so it's yeah it's it's not gonna feel like six seconds per round at all because obviously you can't all do your turns in six seconds that quickly especially with the dm explaining what's going on and you know because a lot of them will kind of you know try to paint a word picture for you to explain like how you're attacking rather than just like ah oh, i'm gonna hit it with my sword and they're yeah. like okay you hit him with your sword da da yeah like a lot of times it's like i want to hit him with my sword you roll you hit all right so you run up and you slash across his chest and you'll yeah. kind of explain things out like detail that. it yeah which honestly it makes the experience much cooler so it's totally worth the extra time yeah so uh so yeah you have you have things you can do um planning out what you should do yeah action bonus action move mm -hmm. movement 
like movement. Yeah. Movement is standard. Uh, one thing to note that a lot of people don't know until they're told by their DM later, uh, because it's not advantageous to them. Um, if you are prone, it takes half your movement to get up unless you have some ability that states otherwise. <laughs> so if you have 30 feet of movement, it takes 15 feet of that movement to get up, which means you now have only 15 feet to move anywhere. Make sure you remember that. Um, actions. These are going to be the main thing that you do in your turn. Let me oh. quick interruption. Just because if it's someone who has never touched like this this kind of game, prone mm. just means you were knocked onto the floor. Oh, like yeah. you're laying down. Yeah. Uh, you're knocked on your back or on your stomach or something. That's prone. And prone is also like in video games and you lay down on the ground to shoot somebody. Yeah. Um, just quick tidbit. Sorry. Good call. Good call. <laughs> I, yeah, sometimes I, I forget, like, what could be common, what could not be common. Yeah. So, anyway, um, moving on to actions. Beep, pew, actions. Actions are, um, like, your main thing that you're doing for the turn. Your that is squeeze. Yeah, it's your bread your, and butter is what you're doing. Your big thing. That's going to be your attack or choosing to set up a defense or uh, choosing to wait on an opponent to do something else um so for instance like okay for my action i want to attack with my sword you know you get to swing on whoever if this is what you're doing the next thing that you're going to be told is to make an attack roll you will turn to your d20 once again your lucky lucky d20 hopefully lucky hopefully it's not unlucky if it's unlucky hopefully you put it in dice jail or remove it from your presence uh <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so you're lucky lucky d20 roll that baby and you will add uh modifiers um that are connected to your character um uh, most uh physical attacks are going to utilize your strength um a lot of weapons melee weapons so like up close and personal you know up in their face type weapons um are going to use your strength some of them uh will have designations that let you use other things but mostly it'll be your strength um and if you are proficient so your class that you have chosen has stated that you are um not inexperienced with these types of weapons uh you will be proficient with those types of weapons um you will add your proficiency bonus if you are proficient with said weapon uh, to your attack. Usually your character class will tell you that yeah. you are proficient in X, Y, or Z, yeah. so you don't have to worry about it. And that's uh, most classes, it'll just say either simple, martial. Um, yeah. Basically, like, simple weapons are going to be your more crude. It's going to be, like, short sword, daggers, stuff like that. Stuff that doesn't really take a lot of training to be able to uh, utilize, but still, you know training nonetheless uh whereas martial weapons are going to be like your big axes your war hammers your uh, large swords mm -hmm. um those ones that take a little more skill to kind of handle those are going to be your martial type weapons um but most yeah it'll tell you in your class when you when you pick it uh what you're proficient with as far as weapons go and obviously uh you'll want to choose ones that you're proficient with to maximize the amount of uh hitting that you can do so you'll add that modifier which uh we'll say you're starting at level one your proficiency bonus is going to be a plus two um your strength will likely not be any higher than an 18 which will be a plus four 
um, in which case you're looking at a most likely maximum of plus six to whatever you roll. So you'll roll your attack, whatever number is on the d20, you will add that plus six we'll go with for now um, to that roll. So let's say you rolled a 12 on the d20, you'll add your six, that's an 18. You look at the DM, you say that's an 18 to hit, or, you know, it's an 18, mm-hmm. however you want yeah. to. Um, do note that uh, a lot of people will hear the first number you say and think that is your roll. So if you see your dice land on a number and you are adding things to it, you should probably say on the die before you add the, before you move on because a lot of times that causes confusion for the DM. It's generally just better to tell the DM your total score. Yes. That's that's always the it number is, they're going to be listening for. It's so. definitely easier to give the total score. Unless but if you're it's one of those a natural people one that, or a natural 20, yeah. they don't need to know. And that's some people, I know there are some people that have a hard time, like they see it, they have to read it out loud when they see it, so yeah, yeah. be sure to try and add that on the die, or that's a natural this so the DM understands that that's just what you rolled on the die. Yes. You haven't added modifiers yet. Um, just just to make things easier for you and your, your DM. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you'll add that modifier. We'll say, you know, yeah, you rolled a, a 12 and you add your 6. That makes an 18. Uh, and the DM says, that hits. Next, what you get to do is you get to roll that sweet, sweet damage mm-hmm. and see just how much you did to and this if you're baddie. you're a monk, you get to roll 30 dice and deal six. <laughs> 30 dice and deal six damage? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was a joke. Uh. I mean, it's... Uh, no, but... Um, Damage time, yeah. Yeah, so you, you'll roll your damage. This is where it really depends on what you've got. Different weapons are going to have different yeah. die values. Different spells are going to have different die values. Every weapon, spell, tool, whatever it is that yep. does damage will have a designated dice to yep. do said damage. It will be listed. So for ease of practice, we'll use my most commonly utilized weapon, a quarterstaff. If you are wielding with one hands, you will have to designate this to your DM. If they are a stickler, designate whether you are using one hand or two on any weapon that allows one or two hands. Um, because most weapons that do that, it changes what the damage die is. So be sure to state whether you are holding it with one or two hands if it is one that is designated with the versatile property. Um... So quarterstaff is one of those. If you have one hand, you are rolling 1d6. If you have two hands, you are rolling 1d8. We'll say for all intensive purposes, we have two-handed our quarterstaff. You will roll your 1d8, and then you will add only your strength modifier to this attack. You do not add your proficiency unless something otherwise states that you do. You will only add your strength modifier, and whatever that is will be your damage. So let's say on your d8 you rolled a 5, and we're going with that plus 6 to hit, so that means that you've got a plus 4 in your strength. Plus 4. So, yeah, because we went level 1 character. Um, So plus 4 in your strength, so that's going to be 9 damage, which is pretty good. Pretty Pretty good good. for level (laughs) 1. Pretty good damage. Pretty good for level 1. Yeah. 
Um, Especially if you pick a level one barbarian with a great axe. Oof. Yeah, well, yeah, level one barbarian with a great axe, then you're rolling a d12, and you got the, <laughs> uh, you got more room anyway. for anyway. Yeah. <laughs> different variables, and also if you're raging as a barbarian, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so you have now done your damage. Once you tell that damage to the DM, they will calculate out what health is left of uh, said target, and they will dictate to you what exactly it is that happens. So generally, it'll go something like, I want to attack this person with this weapon. I'm using both hands. Okay. Roll your attack. Roll attack. That hits. Roll your damage. Roll damage. Now the DM takes that moment to explain what happens. This is when they go... Determines what that damage did to said enemy. You run up and you thump this thug in the head with your broomstick. And he shouts in pain, but it does not seem to knock him down. Right, yeah. So clearly the enemy is still standing. And part of that is kind of important, too, because the DM is trying to convey to you the enemy's status without telling you the enemy's status. Yes, because they will not... Unless they feel you deserve it, they will not tell you how many hit points they have left. However, they will try to explain in condition terms what it looks, what like. It looks like. Because you know you know what it looks like. Like when somebody's fighting, like you can tell when they're like, yeah, they're still in it. They're not really hurt at all. And ooh, they're like struggling to keep hanging themselves standing. Yeah. Like they're just hanging on by a thread. Like there's a big difference between like full HP and about two HP. Yes. And you can see that difference visibly. And a lot of times the DM will do their best to convey that to, yeah, try to convey that by explaining what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And I hate to, I hate to interrupt you one more time. I just okay. think we might've forgot to mention something when we were talking about bonus actions, mm-hmm. any of your abilities as a character, you will know as a bonus action or a regular action because it will list. So it will tell you whether or not something is a bonus or a regular action. Yes. So you don't have to worry about like, Trying to figure out what is a bonus and what's not, it will always tell you. So just always be vigilant in knowing what your abilities say. Yes, uh, absolutely. That no, that's a very good point. I totally like skipped right past that. I just and realized it. I was no, like, oh yeah, we should talk about that. Super important. But yeah, most of those paragraphs for whatever it is that you're class does if it takes any kind of like quote-unquote activation so a bonus action action whatever if it's not something that just passively exists it will tell you most of the time in that first sentence as a bonus action or as an action you can do x y z yeah yeah exactly so So just important for you to know that just so that you can read your abilities and and then that way okay so when they say i have one action i have one bonus action then that means, oh, my rage says as a bonus action, so I get that's my one bonus action for my turn. Got it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So that that covers like your basic explanation of combat uh, before the reaction, leaving the reaction left. Uh, your reaction is an in between thing. You don't utilize your reaction on your turn. Uh, the reaction is utilized on other people's turns. Um, this is something like, uh, casting the spell shield is going to be a reaction, uh, that allows you to increase your armor class, making it harder for you to hit or be hit. Um, things like, um, oh, there's a couple of other things that are reactions that are totally escaping me at this moment, but, 
Um, basically there are things that your character is able to do in combat as like a reflex thing, which is why you only get one of them. Oh, uh, you can use reaction for an attack of opportunity. So let's say like an enemy moves outside of your threat zone, which is in within five feet of your character. Mm -hmm. Uh, if they move from within five feet of your character to outside of five feet of your character, unless they have disengaged or have some sort of, uh, ability that makes it to where you don't, they don't provide what is called an attack of opportunity in which case disengaging if it's an enemy the dm will dis will uh declare that the enemy yes. is disengaging and they will not be able to take an action for that turn they yep. will use that action yep um so that uh that is your chance to get a little extra attack in which is really nice um and that is, yeah, that's your, you utilize your reaction for that as well. So you will only be able to, unless obviously you have done one of the things that allows you to have multiple reactions per turn. That is what the only extra like bonus attack you'll be able to make. So definitely spend those wisely if you have multiple people around you that might be fleeing. Um... So yeah, um, that... your reaction will also so once per round. So again, that's also even though it's not on your turn, mm -hmm. just because it goes to somebody else doesn't mean that you can use your reaction again. It's once yeah. for the entire round. So yeah. So as soon as it goes back to top of the order, that's when it resets and you have a reaction again. Right. Yeah. So if so. the third enemy attacks and you already used your reaction to attack the first enemy that walked by you, you can't use your reaction again on that third enemy to cast shield or whatever it is yep. that you have. You have to wait until top of the order again. Yep. Uh, it's a, one of those like it seems like we're lingering on it it's because we've had instances there are many yep. many people who just make those mistakes it's yep. just a super like, common mistake yeah now there are a lot of dms that utilize the once per your turn type deals so like some of them instead of once per total round they'll go every time you have a turn it refreshes technically that's not DD &D rules but um, it's almost the same it's yeah, it's D and D. It's a DM's call Similar, yeah. on that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that that cool. covers your combat. That's your movement, your um, your, your attack, uh, your um, action, your bonus action, and your reaction. Um, obviously, you're going to have certain class abilities, racial abilities that are going to change. You know, different things you can do, more you can have. Uh, like a lot of classes have an extra attack ability that they get at fifth level, making it to where you can make two attacks for the price of one. Um, stuff like that. Um, yeah, that covers like your standard hand to hand type combat. Obviously. Um, there's also like your magic stuff, uh, but I figured we'd cover that a little more deeply when we get into the spell casting portion here. Um, trying to think. Yeah. Um, enemies, uh, when they attack you, your defense will always be your AC. So yes. if an enemy, an enemy will roll an attack and add bonuses, or the DM rather, will do yeah. that same exact thing, just like you do. Yep. Um, and if their total adds up to more than your AC, then they get that hit, and then they just roll for damage, and it happens. Yep. Uh, that's all there is to it it's pretty simple um a, a really important aspect is just to kind of relax when it comes to feeling pressure about combat just kind yeah. of relax and if you know what your character does if you know your character's melee heavy and you know that that's all you do then just go for it and just be that melee guy you know yeah um 
there's not too much really to say about combat in terms of complexity when it when it's just melee and fighting enemies. What yeah. really gets complex are the spells. Yeah, the spell. That's why I wanted to devote like a separate portion of the yeah. combat to the spells because like obviously you can use spells outside of combat too, which just will be like a good portion because outside we're of only a half too, hour like, in. Yeah, it's it, combat like spells get a little more. Um, intricate it gets things a little more complicated that's why in my first uh in our first iteration of the DD school of thought my first warning um i don't know if it was my first first warning but one of my warnings in there was that i suggest playing a martial class to begin with is because of the complications that spellcasting tend to add to combat We'll go over it. We'll try to make it as easy as possible. Yeah. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to, yeah, hopefully the two of us will be able to kind of like break it down, dumb it down enough so that that way, if you do decide that with your first character, you want to be a spellcaster, <laughs> if you listen to more us, power to you. you've got a lot of, uh, yeah, no pun intended, right? <laughs> or was that pun intended? Ooh, I had <laughs> not power intended. to you. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, you'll be able to hopefully kind of break that down a little bit easier. It'll make things a lot easier for you to understand so that you don't get frustrated with trying to understand how spellcasting works. So let's go over the different kinds of spellcasting. Yeah. There's t- there's like three different kinds, right? In there or two? Yeah, there's... So they utilize there's like spell casting. There's like uh, there's like two different. I know there's at least two there's different slots, uh, there's like books, features. There's... Um, oh, you're talking okay. I'm so, talking mechanics mechanically. Yeah, yeah. Um, I gotcha. So uh, yeah, you've got based on the type of spellcaster you are will depend on um, how like mechanically thematically your spellcasting works. Uh, so like paladins, their magic comes from the deity that they devote to, but they're considered half casters, so they're going to have uh, significantly less spell slots and significantly uh, significantly less progression in how many spell slots they're collecting and level spells they're able to cast than full casters like wizards, sorcerers, clerics, so on and so forth. Um. If you're a wizard, your spells are logged in your spellbook generally. Um, these are things you get to choose them to begin with, and then you can also collect them a long time. However, these generally uh, cost you money for uh, special ink for inscribing these things, um, assuming your DM is actually utilizing that mechanic. Uh and then it'll be, you know, you get X number of prepared spells um, from your tome once you start, uh, or not from your tome, but from your spell book once you're, um, you know, higher, higher number spells than you're able to have available to you. Yes. Um, if you are, you know, cleric, sorcerer. Uh, ones like those, uh, you have just a, a list of spells that are available to you. All of your stuff is um, innately through the deity that you're connected to or the uh, magic um, like bloodline heritage, whatever you want to call it, um, 
that gives you your power wherever your source of power is they just kind of innately present themselves um so you still have the ability to learn things or at least with sorcerers you still learn spells uh with clerics and uh druids it's more of a you have access to 100 percent of the spell list at all times you can only prepare so many at a time though um so that one's kind of yeah, so let's let's talk slots and let's talk preparing because yeah. that's the most those so, are the most confusing parts in my opinion. Yeah. So we'll start off with cantrips. <clears throat> cantrips have an unlimited number of uses. You can use them at will. Um they are considered a zero level spell. Um these ones you'll generally most classes that have spell casting that allow you to have cantrips generally you'll start off with 3. Um different uh class abilities and stuff like that will kind of dictate occasionally to have more uh like if you get bonus ones from that but initially most classes in their spell casting it outlines that you start with three um these cantrips are usually very simple a lot of them don't deal damage a lot of them are more effects like uh prestidigitation allows you to do it'll let you light a flame or snuff out a flame dirty or clean something make a sound effect stuff like that Mm -hmm. um things like uh i believe goodberry yeah goodberry is a uh, a druid cantrip that one allows you to summon berries that can heal you um and there's typically no restriction on uh how many times you can use those yeah um, no. um as far as as far as D rules go there's not a restriction on how many times you can utilize a cantrip yeah yeah um cantrips are free essentially yeah. which is why they're typically kind of weak they're typically yeah. kind of easy for an enemy to skeet yeah. by um, the only thing the only thing with cantrips is uh making sure that you pay attention to the components. So one of the things in all spells is their uh, components. Uh, There are three types of components, somatic, verbal, and uh, material. If you have a spell focus of any sort, you do not need to worry about material unless there is an actual value cost added to it. So like it'll say like a 500 GP diamond for revivify. Um, if you have a spell focus that you have to worry about, but if you have a spell that's like a strip of cloth, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. It goes through your spell focus and your spell focus (laughs) essentially like provides that. Yeah. Your character will have the knowledge to make whatever that is, cover all those. Um, somatic means that you have to be able to at minimum move a hand. Right. Um, a lot of times, like most spells are with somatic uh, components are generally considered to have some sort of hand movement to cast them. Um, so if your hands are bound and you are unable to move your hands, anything with a somatic component is now out unless you have some other kind of way to do it without um, requiring that. Like if you have a way to skip past that somatic component, which is up to your DM most of the time. Like if you have like like if your feet or like it's detailed like, in a class feature. Yeah, or it'll say so. Like, yeah. metamagic with sorcerers. You can have subtle spell, which will cost you sorcery points, but you don't require verbal or somatic components. There you go, yeah. Um, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also some DMs that'll also, yeah, they'll dictate like, uh, maybe that one's kind of simpler, like you probably have figured out how to do it even with a shield in your hand kind of thing, something like that. Um, and then... Uh, Verbal components, obviously, you have to say something. 
you have some sort of encampment or right, so or, the or, or whatever, then you yeah. can use that spell. So like, it requires a verbal component. Yeah. A lot of spells will require like all three sometimes. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there's a good mix. Like some of them are just verbal somatics, some are somatic materials, some are like it's a good mix. Um, there is not a single spell out there that isn't homebrew um, that does not require verbal somatic or material. So Every spell require requires something. one of those at minimum. Mm-hmm. But some of them will, yeah, some of them will be multiple. So Aww. definitely keep those in mind when you're casting. That's one of the things that does make things a little more uh, intricate with spell casting is understanding the components required. Yeah, most of the time, I'll be honest, anytime I'm casting spells, I don't really look at the verbal, somatic, or uh, the other one. Uh, material. Material, yeah. Well, yeah. materials, I guess I do look at, but the yeah. verbal or somatic, I don't really take a look at. Most of the time, because when you're casting spells freely, you're, you're good to do so. But um, it is good to for you and the dm to keep an eye on when someone can and cannot speak or use their hands yeah uh so spell slots yeah now we move into the leveled spells oh yeah now the first thing to note with leveled spells regarding combat before we go into anything else D D rule dictates which obviously your dm can choose to lift this rule however most do not that you may only cast one leveled spell, so anything level one or higher, per turn. Period. Right. So, that means that technically, by D&D rule, you cannot cast... Uh, let's just... We'll use cleric stuff, for instance, just because that's what I know the best. Um, you cannot cast spirit guardians... And uh, spiritual weapon in the same turn, because those are that is a second level and a third level spell. Even though spiritual weapon is a bonus action and spirit guardians is an action, so those are two that's, separate turn things. Unless your DM says that they yeah. are not utilizing that rule, which and that's like just I said, because D and D says no. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, most DMs do not lift that uh, one leveled spell per turn. Kevin did. <laughs> I like to lift that one, but it's specifically because what happens is, is most times it's a it's a risk reward thing. You can use multiple leveled spells. However, at lower levels, you're going to burn through those leveled spells really, really quickly, and then you're going to be basically useless for the rest of the encounter. I think I think the intention with the mechanic initially with D&D is to encourage more use of cantrips. Because that's one thing I noticed in your campaign is I hardly use my cantrips because I could use my two-level spells. See, I'm I'm the other way around. When I create characters, I go, how can I be most effective with my cantrips first? That's the smartest move because those are free. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's, he, that's why I made that War Mage character that I have because they're cantrip masters. So like everything mm, is cantrips. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I digress. Uh, um, yeah. So slots. Um, yes. Each uh, level in uh, each caster level will designate a specific number of slots at specific levels so first level generally you're going to have two first level spell slots that'll be it at first level mm-hmm. keeping things nice and simple which is honestly it's really nice <laughs> i'll be honest with you it's really nice to only have like a few like it seems like a problem initially because you can go through those spell slots so quickly 
But when you start having all of these leveled spells and all of these different spell slots, it starts to get a bit overwhelming until you really get used to spell casting. Isn't Inflict Wounds a first level spell? It is. That's fucking strong for a first level spell. <laughs> Inflict Wounds is very strong At for level a first one? level spell. Oh you my know God. what other spell is extremely powerful for being, I believe, a second level spell? What is it? Heat Metal. Yeah. Heat metal yeah. is so OP if you use, use it creatively. <laughs> if you use cr uh, heat metal creatively, it is so, so powerful for a second level spell. We're, we're getting ahead. Again, we're getting ahead. I digress. Each level in a caster class. Yep. So spell like wizard, yep. uh, druid, yeah. cleric, whatever. Yeah. Sorcerer. So uh, we'll dictate um, how many spell slots of what level you have and what level spells you can learn. Um, if you are multi-classing, um, which we'll just, we'll touch it a little bit. There is a separate table in the player handbook that is for multi-classing with spells, with spell casters. If you are multi-classing into a full caster class, it's not going to be that big of an issue. Basically, you just have the same, like if you were a full caster of one casting class, you can literally follow that spell slot number and level as long as you do not deviate to a half cast or a martial type class. It will still be that number all the way down. And multi-classing is just when uh, in D&D, when you level up, you... Uh, get to put a level into either your current class or you can multi-class provided you have the requirements to put that level into yes. a different class and yes. it will give you, you can... those abilities depending on how high you make those levels of that class yes so we'll we'll assume you're not multi-classing on your first time playing probably not because <laughs> hopefully that, like that that makes things even more complicated so if you're already touching spells and then you're multi-classing now you're really like in some dangerous territory for being super complicated hope you're ready for it like yeah, strap in and get luck. ready so assuming you're not multi-classing your caster level will be the same as your player level if you're playing a caster class um so as you progress on, you will gain the ability to have higher level spells and you will get increased numbers of spell slots, making it through. When you use up all of your spell slots, you can no longer cast leveled spells. You're done, son. So You're done. going back to the first level full caster, you're looking at two spell slots at first level. When you cast your two first level spells, you are now out of spell slots until your next long rest. Unless you're a wizard, but I don't think they get that ability till later. Um, wizards do have an ability where on a short rest they can gain back like a spell slot. Um, I think it's I think it's like one one level lower than their highest level available, minimum one. Um you have the you have that constraint on your magic so always 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 pay attention to your spell slots and be extra extra careful while you're going because yeah you are absolutely going to uh you're gonna run out of spell slots it's gonna happen it's inevitable um like no matter what you do there's not going to be a time unless you're choosing not to be a part of it with your magic if you have magic you will eventually run out of spell slots. Yep. And so your class, depending on your level, that'll determine the number of spells you are allowed to have equipped total. Yep. 
So it'll be detailed in the spellcasting space, like the spellcasting ability uh, paragraph in your class. Um, most of them, most of them are uh, you're able to have prepared uh, a number of spells equal to your um, whatever your casting ability is tied to. So, like for clerics, it's wisdom. So it'll be like your wisdom mod plus your cleric level, or your wisdom mod plus half your cleric level. Um, also, in D&D, do remember uh, when it comes to damage or anything else, unless otherwise stated, you always round down. So let's, you know, um, one thing in combat is some some uh, some creatures will have resistances. Resistance mean is, means it takes half damage. So let's say you do 17 damage. That's going to be 8 damage. Because it'd be... It'd be eight and a half when you divide it in half. You'll round down. It's eight damage. Unless otherwise stated. Anyway, little that little side note that I forgot about in the first bit of combat. Um yeah, so then you've you've got your your spells. You get to choose uh what your spells are based on your class. Um different classes have different available spells. Uh a lot of classes some of them get their subclass at first level, some of them don't get them till third. Um a lot of classes will have uh special spells if they're casting classes, they'll have special spells designated to that specific subclass. Um those ones generally don't count against your total spells known or prepared. However, they do still cost the spell slot to cast them. So, they are not completely free. The knowledge of them is free. <laughs> Um, unless otherwise detailed, like, uh, uh, Ganassi have the ability to earth, earth Ganassi has the ability to cast pass without trace once per, uh, per, uh, long rest for free. Right. And the other Ganassi classes each have a different, uh, spell, but, um, if you have anything like that, your class or race will tell you. Yeah. It'll be detailed. Um, as far as that goes, that's that's most of it. Um, you know, some uh, some spells are going to require a dex save. Some are going to require an attack roll. Um, that'll be detailed in the description. Make sure that you very thoroughly read your spells. I am still guilty of not thoroughly reading my spells and missing things. Um, sometimes it comes, you know, sometimes it's, whoops, I read it wrong and it did the wrong thing and that's not how it's supposed to work. Uh, so we have to take that back. That wasn't as helpful as I thought. Um, other times it's just missing damage dice. Uh, like, um, certain cantrips, uh, will generally scale, at least in fifth edition, they, they did up this. So in fourth edition, uh, D and D, you could actually upcast cantrips. Um, they changed that. You don't upcast cantrips anymore in fifth edition. However, uh, the damage for them generally scales with your level. So it'll increase, uh, damage dice. Usually it'll like increase the number of damage dice at like fifth, 11th and 17th or, or 14th. Yeah. There. Something like that. It's up there, but yeah, it'll increase um, your damage with your cantrip yeah. from like a D six to three D six or two D six. So like, uh, for instance, firebolt. Firebolt is a wizard or sorcerer cantrip um, at first through fourth levels. It does 1d10 fire damage. Um, at fifth level, it Damn. ups to 2d10 and so on and so forth with the level scaling. Um, 
there are other cantrips that do other amounts of damage based on your level that'll increase. Um, but do make sure that you pay attention to all of the parts of that spell, because I personally have recently been guilty of completely missing extra damage dice that I was supposed to be rolling that I totally missed because I didn't read the spell all the way through. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely have those all the read all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and as with everything that we talk about, on here with D&D for your first time specifically, but also good for all times. Just have your stuff ready to show your DM because they're unlike someone like me who can just memorize things off the top of their head. They know what they do. They know how to use them. They know how it goes and it just stays there somehow. A lot of DMs do not have the ability to memorize all the different spells and all the different class features and how everything works. So have your stuff ready for your DM so that when you do it, they can see it because inevitably they're going to have, it's going to be, you're going to do something that they don't have memorized. Even if they are like me, they don't have memorized and they'll be like, can I see that ability? Can I see that spell? Can you read it to me? What does it do? Whatever it is. So that that way they can make sure that it does actually work the way that you're trying to utilize it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, do we talk about preparing spells, like the difference between having prepared spells and having a total number of spells? Yes. Let's go over that. Yeah. So you get a certain number of slots. So you Mm -hmm. said first level, you get two first level spells. Yes. So that means you can have two prepared spells at a time. Not necessarily. And that'll be detailed in your spell casting, um, information for your class. So, like, uh, for clerics, you actually have the ability, it is, I believe it's your full level plus your modifier. Let me double check that real quick. Make sure that I'm correct, because I could be wrong and it could be your modifier and half your class level. Classes, cleric. it's full class. It should be full class, I think, if I remember correctly. Stop tweeting. Go away. Twitter's on the attack. Yeah, I'm getting Twitter notifications right where I'm trying to tap my screen because apparently everybody's tweeting right now. Base information. Down to spellcasting. See chat. Oh, they changed it on the thing. You. Oh, wait. Here we go. Okay. Uh, 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 uh. You prepare the list of cleric spells that are available for you to cast choosing from the cleric spell list. When you do so, choose a number of cleric spells equal to your wisdom modifier plus your cleric level, minimum of one spell. So at first level as a cleric, if you're assuming that you put your highest number or your highest uh, ability into your wisdom because that's your casting ability, um, we'll just go go with 16. That's a plus three. Um, So at first level, that's four cleric spells. So you have the availability of the entire first level cleric yeah, spell okay, list. Yeah, okay, that's right, that's right. And, and you then pick four of four them. of them are able to be prepared. Exactly. So those four, so let's say you pick those four to be prepared, and then you only have two slots, correct? Yes. So then you can only use two of the four prepared. Or one twice. Or one of them, or one of them two times in a row, yeah. Yeah. Um, you can double dip <laughs> your spells. Yeah. But they that's, are not that's the difference between having something prepared and having your spell slots. So the slots yeah. dictate your total number of castings, the yes. total number of times you can cast a level spell, 
and your prepared spells are the ones that you choose from yeah. your entire arsenal. Those are the ones that are available to you until you adjust them. Specifically with clerics and a couple of other uh, classes, you do have the ability to know, like, essentially what happens is with clerics, you know all of the spells. You are able to change them every long rest. You can change which ones are prepared. So you have your number of spells that are prepared. You can change that every long rest. So let's say, um, just for shits and giggles, you've got Cure Wounds, um, Healing Word, um, uh, Inflict Wounds, and um, Bless are the, the four spells that you've chosen for Cleric. Be prepared. Let's go with those. Those are your four prepared spells. Mm -hmm. You can change those on a long rest but those are the ones that you know today those are the ones that you are ready to cast today now you only have two spell slots at first level so you can only cast twice out of those four out of those four but those are the four you get to choose from obviously you still have your cantrips you're available you're able to use those but those are your first level spells that are available and then as your wisdom modifier increases, your cleric level increases, the number of spells that you have prepared will increase as well. For clerics also, you choose your subclass at first level. This is going to come with two domain spells that are available to you at first level. Those are not counted towards your four available spells known. So you Correct. will have six spells that available you to you. To cast. Yes. And the two spells from your domain will change based on your domain chosen. But that is a separate mechanic. Like it's a it's spell casting, but it's a separate mechanic specifically for your class. And so I've only played cleric, so I only know how the cleric works. So how did the how does like sorcerer versus druid so versus druid? Uh, if memory serves, also is all of them are available, and they're just which ones are prepared. Same mm -hmm. thing with paladin, wizard. You learn them, you put them in your spellbook. Um, they are. Only available to you when you so you can learn more at level up and you can scribe them down separately. Like if you come across a scroll, like a spell scroll that's got a spell that you don't have in your book, you can copy that into your spell book, but it's going to cost money for the special ink. But then that's um, then you just have an arsenal prepared inside your book. So it's you have them there, but you still have a limit on how many you can prepare. You just don't okay. have access to a hundred percent of the spell list. Oh, so like it's actually just a limited do. version. Yeah. Ah, okay. But they're typically so, stronger but, spells, aren't they? That and wizards have the largest spell selection in the yeah, game. Yeah. So okay. that's that's where it's like they traded knowledge for versatility. They yeah. have so much more to choose from, but they don't have access to it a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorcerers, you learn your spells as you go, and with newer additions that have come out, adjustments they do allow you now to swap spells that are like swap known spells. Uh, from your spell list, but you don't have to worry about preparing spells with Sorcerer. Sorcerer, what you know is what you have available, and then you use your spell slots through it. That's pretty easy. Um, which, so yeah, Sorcerer's so probably Sorcerer's, the easiest one. Sorcerer's pretty straightforward. Um, and then Warlock. Warlock is actually a little easier than that. You have your set spells that you know the same way that Sorcerer is. Like, you know them, you have them. Mm -hmm. You don't have to prepare spells but you always cast at the level spell slot you've got. So like Warlock gets 
spell slots. I'll actually, I'll pull it up real quick. So if you look at it, let me go back over to Warlock. Warlock table. So you're going to have a specific number of spells known based on your level. And then based on your level, you will also have a number of slots and what level they are. So like at first level, you have one first level slot. At second level, you have two first level slots. At third level, you have two second level slots. Your spells will always cast at that level that you have. Yeah. So they're actually like the most dumbed down of the spell casting because you don't mm. have to worry about different leveled slots for different spells. No upcasting or there is no upcasting. Everything uh, is auto upcast to whatever that level you have. Got is. it. Got it. Okay. So, so, so you, you just have, spend the slots and you don't yep. really have to keep track of them. Yep. So like, let's just say you are a 10th level warlock, you know, 10 spells at 10th level and you have two fifth level spell slots. So you have 10 spells to choose from <laughs> and you can cast two of them or one of them twice at fifth level, no matter what level they were that you knew them. So let's just say it's inflict wounds. So it's a first level spell. You are auto upcasting at fifth level. If you right, cast if it, if you have the fifth level a, left, yeah. if that's the only spell yeah. slot left, well, that's, so that's the only spell slot you have is a warlock. Oh shit. Okay, so like yeah. warlock 10th level, you've got two fifth level spell slots. And that's it. So if you've oh, got you first level first inflict level wounds, and all that. you're not casting it at first level. You're up casting it to fifth oh, level period. Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. So it does, it does simp super simplify it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You also have less spell slots than normal. So that's one of those like, hey. so all of this to say, and this is why we were advising not to pick a, a caster as your first time, because if you had listened to any of the past <laughs> 10 minutes of what we were just talking about and it got you a little bit lost that's yeah. why it's not that you can't because if yeah. you do you will probably and all this will make sense i'm sure mm -hmm. if you sit down with a dm or somebody yep. who knows and they walk it through with you as you're doing it yeah then this will all make perfect so, sense <laughs> basically because of the like it it kind of illustrates how complicated magic gets for first time players. If you're a, you know a newer player and you're listening to this, because we keep bouncing from class to class to class because it varies from exactly. class to class. To class. <laughs> exactly. So you're gonna be like, what the hell? It'll make a lot more sense if you're just focusing on your one class. Yes. It'll be a lot easier to figure out with focusing on just your class. But as far as spell casting as a whole goes, it is complicated. complicated. <laughs> It depends so, on the class that you pick. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why a lot of us, a lot of us more experienced players will suggest playing a martial class like a rogue or a fighter or a barbarian to begin with so that that way you can get the handle on combat and role playing before you start dipping into the complexity that is the spell casting stuff. Area. Yeah. It's not impossible to do. We're not saying you can't do it. We're just saying it is easier. Yeah. I mean, if you want to play a caster, go for it. And yeah. once you have someone sit down with you and explain it and walk it through with you, you'll probably get it and you'll be like, oh, this is what yeah. those two chuckleheads were talking about. Yep. Um, so, I, yeah, absolutely, absolutely do not be afraid to ask for help if you are a new player playing a spellcaster. Because that's going to make things easier for you, for your party, for your DM. Yep. Um, is that it 
for combat I think that covers the majority so I mean maybe I could touch on so when you're rolling if you're rolling an attack uh, you're utilizing your spell casting modifier if you're rolling an attack with an attack spell yeah we didn't go over Um, that that's going to be your spell casting ability so for it'll be either charisma wisdom or intelligence um, I'll just continue with the cleric analogies I because say, like, I know that's what cleric. I know the best. <laughs> cleric utilizes wisdom for its casting ability. So that's going to be your casting ability modifier plus your proficiency modifier is going to be your spell casting ability attack modifier. Yeah. So let's just say you've that's got the, the plus almost. three in wisdom and you're a level one. That's a plus two proficiency. That means you're rolling with a plus five to hit if you're rolling an attack with a spell. Yep. Now for your um for your if you're making something make a uh saving throw of some sort, that's going to be against your spellcasting DC, which is calculated as eight plus your uh your uh casting ability modifier plus your uh proficiency. So Again, same thing, 16 in Wisdom, Cleric. Your save DC at level 1 is going to be 8 plus 3 plus 2, which is 13. There you go. And um, save DC is just what the enemy has to pass in a check yeah. to not be affected by your so, spell or take half damage yeah. most of the time. So continuing with the Cleric, Sacred Flame, just to make an example, Sacred Flames makes the enemy make a Dexterity saving throw. If it fails the saving throw, then you deal the damage. If it passes, then it's fine. Um, So you are 16 in wisdom, first level, save DC of 13. The enemy has to roll a dex save of at least 13 to pass. If they do not manage to roll 13 or higher, then they fail, they take the damage. Uh, some spells will dictate that if they fail, they take half damage. If they succeed, or if they fail, they take full damage. If they succeed, they take half damage. Um, with cantrip saving throws, generally, it's if they fail, they take no damage. If they succeed, they take damage. Correct. Again, uh, cantrips being weaker because they're f- they're not restricted by spell slots. <clears throat> So I think that's it. I think that's it for spell casting in regular combat. I mean, there's healing technically, but that's more like a item thing. It's kind of yeah, and Um, they don't detail everything word for word what you need to do for those. That's also spell casting, and it just happens. So yep. Um, but that should be a pretty basic crash course on how to understand all of that. Hopefully it wasn't too confusing with kind of having to jump around. That's why I tried to make (coughs) as many examples as possible. Yeah. Um. So that that way, you know, it's a little easier to understand what it is that I'm trying to explain. And a lot um, of times you'll you'll get it as you go too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. The more you do it, the more it's going to make sense, the more it's going to work for you. Um, I'd but yeah, say, I think, you know, as always, just don't feel pressured and yeah, fucking just have fun. Yeah. Have fun with it. Talk that's to your what you're DM. Supposed to do. If you've got an idea, ask your DM. Yeah, like, never, never any harm in doing something like that. The main objective in D&D is always to have fun. Yeah. It should never be anything else. Yeah, and if you ask your DM, the worst thing they're going to say is, no, you can't do it that way. Or no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's it. It's not like, it's not like, hey, can I cast this spell? No, and now your character's dead. Like, no, no that doesn't. And other than... I mean, if that happens, then your DM is honestly a dick. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, now that we're wrapping up combat, I mean... 
that's pretty much all there is to playing a D and D character, really. I mean, I mean, yeah, other the, than going through contextual yep. situations and what's left is really role play. It's the stuff in between the filler it's bits. Your style of play, so make yeah. it your own. So, how how are we looking time wise? We got we're uh, landing at an hour and ten minutes. Okay, we so we got clean. a little bit of time. We can kind of let's uh, let's talk theater of the mind a little bit. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. So when I say theater of the mind, this is basically uh, like um, for my more visual people, when you're reading a book and you can kind of like the words kind of paint a picture in your head, you can kind of understand, like you kind of see it in your head. Like I'll tell you, you know? if, like if I tell so, Kevin, I used to have a tree in my backyard and the tree was like a very large pine tree with the pine needle sticking out straight. And I walked up to the tree and I felt the bark and the bark would be soft yet crumbly and it would crumble in my hand as I kind of rolled it around my fingers. You get kind of an image of that tree. You kind of imagine yeah. what that bark looks like and feels like. Yes. This is what people are generally referring to when they call the theater of the mind. This is where what your imagination pictures when you are <laughs> explained something. This is the coolest part of D&D in my opinion. Yeah. This is so, the coolest part. A lot of things are imagination. Now, there are obviously there are tools that you can utilize so that it's easier for people to picture things. But all in all, officially, what you picture in your head is the story that is being told. Like you are utilizing your theater of the mind to understand what's going on. So what you see and what someone else at the table sees may not necessarily be the same thing. As far as the fine details go, but as long as things are being told in a way that makes sense to everybody, everyone should be seeing the same basic picture at the table. So when the DM says you walk up and you thump the enemy over the head with your broomstick, Everyone's everyone should see that. in their mind your character walking up to the enemy and beating that dumbass over the head with a stick. It's very cool because when you get a room of people together like that and then the DM describes something like that, you never really think about it. But all of you are essentially watching the same movie mm -hmm. in your heads, you know? Yeah. Everyone's kind of visualizing the same thing roughly. And it's really cool to just kind of think that you're all kind of in this space, but you're not. It's like virtual reality in your own heads. Yeah. You're all connected. You all see it and you all know what's being, what's happening. Yeah. Um, it's very, very cool. It's one of the things that I think D&D is really good at bringing about. And I think that's why people like it so much. One thing that I like a lot about D&D is like the fact that everyone's, it's using your imagination. You're seeing it in your head. You're creating things in your head. You're deciding to make decisions for this character. It's all it's all imagination <laughs> it keeps your brain moving and working and it's it's a really good like even though a lot of people like even i utilize a lot of technology when i do D, D. like i keep my character sheets on an app that makes things more you know accessible and easy for me to you know get a hold of um it organizes my data better um it's still analog and it's so is it's good for your brain to flex, to, to flex yeah. imagination, like and creativity. Yeah, so it's 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 one of those like I I really enjoy <laughs> having that picture in my head and creating those you know ideas and and uh, settings and so on and so forth. Just kind of even as a know, DM, it's cool that. to it's cool to sit there and like when when you're when you're uh, like for example when Philip you know when he takes down an enemy, I love. Because Philip, Philip in our, is our friend. He's playing in my campaign. Mm -hmm. It's the first campaign he's ever played in. Yeah. So, um, har, he has har played, relative. He has played one one time 
prior As to this shot, and it was yeah. a one shot that i ran for his birthday yeah so he is like and brand spanking super new. into it this um, is the first character he's ever created himself because yeah. i gave him a pre-made character for that one shot and so he i love it when you're a dm and they say like and he says like i want to cut this enemy in half you know because i'm like okay the enemy's hp's at two and he's obviously going to kill it so how do you yeah. want to kill it philip He's like, well, I want to cut it in half. And then I'm like, okay. And so I think of a creative way to do it. And so then I start illustrating for him in his head how he looks when mm-hmm. he's cutting this thing in half. And it's so cool to see the players' faces kind of like light up as they go, damn. And you describe that the yeah. blade is going through the body of the enemy. And as you cut its top torso, the bottom wobbles a little bit as it kind of topples to the ground and whatever spills out on the floor. You know, they kind of, they all visualize that. And you can see kind of on everyone's faces, they kind of like, they nod or they kind of like, they, you see that everyone has this yeah. cool image of how it looks and philip his face lights up hugely whenever he whenever he hears like something like that he loves it yeah Um, honestly one of my favorite things as a dm like explaining it to someone is when they say this is what i want to do and they say it in a very like simple way like this i want to remove like i want to cut his head off and then you explain like more in detail how it goes and they look at you like that is exactly how i pictured exactly, it in my head like yeah, it's that super connection awesome. just it's it's <laughs> awesome like if you haven't played D and you haven't like or if you have played D, you haven't had that line up like when you have that line up as a player and as a dm like the picture in your head matches what was described to you or the what you described matches the picture in their head that like mental connection where you guys are on that same wavelength is so cool like it i outside of that i can't really describe like the feeling but like you'll know it when it happens you're like yeah if you know you know (laughs) um yeah so theater of the mind like kevin is talking about that's that's really all it is is visualizing and kind of painting the scene in your head and and um sort of putting yourself there it almost sounds like it's kind of like what you used to do as a kid when you used to play pretend it's yep. very much so the same thing and um it's kind of the reason i think D gets uh kind of shouldered or a bad rap sometimes because people find it childish but um i think personally if you're flexing your creative muscles and you're you're imagining things like that as an adult, you're I think that you're more mature in a way. You're accepting kind of that there is a place that you can go to yeah. that's kind of an escape from reality. And honestly, there's a lot of people that don't really have an art like people that don't have artistic ability being able to imagine that in their head and see the other people at the table imagine that in their head, like they see kind of the same picture that you're seeing kind of thing is it it's kind of um i think maybe cathartic would be the word you kind of like i don't know it's it's one of those things where like you actually feel like you're being creative without having to be necessarily artistic or create something that's in how some i way. feel i'm the least like, artistic person i know but in terms of like D and visualizing what is happening in the game or coming up with ideas mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I'm decent at it. You know, yeah. I feel like I can actually picture something and it's very it's a very cool development to make. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's an outlet for people who don't have artistic talents to be able to um, 
outlet some sort of creativity. And it also provides a lot of creativity uh, muses for people with artistic talents. Um, you know, there are plenty of people that make songs about D&D campaigns and D&D and things like that. And there are people that, you know, there are plenty of artists out there, tons of them, hundreds of them that just they will they'll you give them a description and they will create an art piece that matches that description to the best of their ability and they're like phenomenal yeah. they are Bob amazing kind of like that yeah there's a whole bunch of people on the lawful stupid discord that like they'll post the art that they do for characters that they've made or other people have made or what I, like art commissions they've done stuff like that and they are they are so impressive like i I I dabble a little bit, but I am nowhere as near as good as some of the artists on there. And like seeing their artwork for their characters, for other people's characters, is just it, it makes me happy. Like that we can all just kind of share in this uh, game of imagination, really. So, in a theater of a mind, when you're playing your D and D game for the first time, or you're doing whatever with your character, if your character's walking down the street, or your character is fighting an enemy. Use your theater of your mind to picture what you want that to look like. What does it look like in front of the enemy? And what does the enemy look like? And how do you want to look when you make your character use that move? And when you do, and the DM describes it, you'll have that feeling that everyone is looking at it with you. Mm -hmm. And you have this really awesome moment where you're all kind of watching your (laughs) character do something. And it's kind of like everyone has a spotlight. Yeah. And And it's amazing. And absolutely don't be afraid to explain exactly what it is you're picturing in your head. Because sometimes sometimes the way it's explained, it doesn't quite line up right. (laughs) So sometimes you will need to make that. Like, don't ever be afraid to be like, so the way that I picture it is my character just kind of like sits up from his bed and looks over to the character just very slowly, barely turning their neck. Like... You know, instead of like, you jolt up out of bed, like the way I see it, I see my character like not super impulsive. Like they're not the person that jumps to that very easily. They're kind of just like, oh, you've entered my room unannounced. The fuck are you doing? Yeah, slow turn. Like, you know, dramatic thing like that. Sometimes that correction needs to be made for for the picture to be clear, like for them to understand the the personality of your character, the way that your character is. So don't be afraid to be like, oh. I don't really like they wouldn't really necessarily do that. The way I'm picturing it is like this. And like sometimes the DM will be like, well, because of the way it is, it can't quite be that way. But for the most part, most DMs are like, well, it's it's your character, the way that you picture your character being like, that's the way you created it. Yeah. And they're going to they're going to let that go. So that, that way, every like they're not let it go, but they're, they're going to accept that and they're going to put it in there. So that, that way, you know, everybody at the table can see what you're seeing, too. Yeah. And just that's, remember, you know, you're sharing that theater. It's a character you wanted to make and you dictate how they look and behave. Yeah. And you should flex that flex that with your friends, you know, whoever yeah. you're playing with um, and have fun doing it. Yes. Above all. I'm, I almost he almost said, said stay nerdy. <laughs> I did. I almost said stay nerdy. Above all, have that fun. Yeah. In D&D, above all, have that fun. Yeah, In life, exactly. nerdy. <laughs> um, so hopefully with this series, we're going to wrap it up here because we're getting close to time. Yep, we're right about there. Um, hopefully with this series, you guys have kind of anyone who's been on the fence about D&D or kind of is thinking about it or they are about to hop into a game or something. Hopefully you, um, have had some assistance in these listenings and you can 
have a much better picture and hopefully you feel more free to make a character that you want to make yeah uh in a campaign because that's what it's about it's about your journey as a character um so i think we're going to plan on doing more of these yes uh definitely there's more complex mechanics that we can touch on there um yeah there are i'd love to dive deeper about I'd love to dive deeper into like role playing, yeah, um, and like ability checks and stuff like that. Yes, um, that uh, could definitely be another one. I also would love to do like a DM episode. That's what I was about we, to say. Yeah. Is being a DM, we yeah, could do where that. We talk um, about DM stuff, uh, especially cover... since yeah, since the both of us DM on a regular basis. Like yeah, you, you finished a campaign, played in a campaign, and then started another one. Like <laughs> I finished a campaign, I'm playing in your campaign, and I'm currently writing another one. There you go. Yeah. Which It'll be off podcast, so but I want to talk to you about an idea I had okay. um, regarding the podcast that has to do with that. Yeah, and so. we talked about maybe hosting a D and D sesh or mock one or something as as a yeah. as a podcast at some point too. Yeah, so um, we might do that too. So yeah, there's more coming, and hopefully, what you have listened to so far has been at least interesting. At the very least, interesting to see yeah. how maybe we perceive dnd to work and how we describe it to work yeah. and uh maybe you know how it works and you just wanted to see i don't know how we would teach somebody ourselves yeah. so and i mean yeah i know there are some people that'll probably listen to this that have like they already know how all this works they totally understand it but they might have had um trouble trying to explain it to new players and having this second perspective hopefully helps them be able to describe that to other players and kind of help them out or if they don't want to utilize this to do so they can just be like hey listen to this and have them play it which would be super cool for us but you know yeah, not, or as a refresher at all <laughs> or as a refresher you know yeah um, maybe so, you haven't played in a while hopefully this was helpful for new and old players and um yeah with that i'll take us out yeah well everybody thank you so much for listening we really do appreciate it um this is me and kevin's uh second cast right in a row um so there will be an episode uh, this week and next week. Yeah, while uh, I'm in Kansas. Yeah, well, Kevin <laughs> is doing a competition in Kansas. Good luck yeah, to Kevin. competition. Good luck, man. We'll let him know how you do after. Um, so all of you, please stay safe, stay happy. Above all else, stay nerdy. We'll catch you in the next one. Have a good night. <laughs>